Um, so I thought I would just read this sort of as a way to honor him um, and give you guys some just understanding. This is the um, obituary that was in the Laguna Independent, and this is what it said. So jump well, December 15th, 1942 to February 9th, 2022. John... Sure, I'm December 17th, 42. Oh, oh, oh really? close to home here. Wow. Uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, John Niels Pettit, Jr., passed away fearlessly yet peacefully on February 9th, 2022, with his family by his side in the Laguna Beach home he built. He was 80 years old. Pettit was born and raised in La Jolla. How do you say La Jolla? La Jolla. La Jolla. La Jolla. Watch my English now, guys. Raised in La Jolla, California, often referred to as Felix or Big J. In fact, uh, that's what his sons called him a lot, was Big J. By friends and family, he developed an affinity for adventuring and the outdoors at a young age. One of the original members of the renowned Wind and Sea Surf Club, John was an avid surfer and diver through his teens, but would soon have to transition into a well-rounded waterman, heading commercial fishing charters from San Diego to South America. After honing his skills in the Pacific Ocean, Pettit took a hiatus from Southern California and ventured to the mountains landing in Sun Valley, Idaho. There he built his first home in the form of a log cabin and pursued what would become his new passions, whitewater kayaking and skiing. Pettit, admirable character and eager nature, resonated with the resident crew, whom immediately took him under their wing. He absorbed everything in the local art outdoorsman through his, let's see, he absorbed everything in the local outdoorsman through his way and became a staple in the community. Guiding, rafting, and kayak tourage in the summer, and doing avalanche control for Sun Valley Ski Patrol in the winter. Just when he thought he had found his forever home, he met a young brunette artist from Laguna Beach by the name of Holly Ann Nicholas, the love of his life, whom he would spend the next 44 years. And Jay actually married yeah. them, which I, I had no idea even Jay knew them for so long. Um, so he married them that 44 years ago. Well, they met at a Bible study that Jay had. Is that what it was? That's how they met. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Just amazing the history here. <laughs> Upon starting a family, Pettit packed up his mountain life and headed back to Southern California, residing on Laguna Beach with his wife. As an experienced carpenter, Pettit built Nicholas booths at the Sawdust Festival each summer where he would showcase his ceramic talents. During this time, Pettit would also refocus his attention back to the ocean and master celestial navigation, earning his captain's license in the process. From there, he proceeded to conduct local charters on a famous wooden schooner in Dana Point called the Kelpie, and led long-distance charters from Hawaii to California, chasing the Transpac race. Captain Pettit was a worthy seaman. Pettit and Nichols' family quickly grew from one to four, which led him to pursue a safer form of employment, endeavoring to take up building full-time. With a knack for geometry and an eye for style, he created a niche role for himself doing custom stair design. And I will say what's neat in his house is he built the stairway. It's just amazing with this, like, piece of wood about like this that just, like, curves perfectly up this curved stairway. It's just gorgeous. Um, as a
as an independent contractor for developers at the time. Pettit, with a small crew, had a hand in building many homes in what is now the greater Aliso Viejo and Laguna Hills area. Pettit retired from building at the ripe age of 65. In turn, focusing his energy on both single-handed sailing, race circuit, and theology. As Pettit's study and knowledge of Christianity grow, grew, so did his faith, which he carried with great pride to the end. Pettit was a devoted husband, loving father, and truly selfless individual. And I heard that over and over again from every single person I got up and talked of just his selfless nature. He will always be remembered um, as a man whose goodness, honesty, and strength of character always led him to defend what he believed in, the certainty, and one who stood up for others wholeheartedly. And don't we all know that who saw him in the men's study? I mean, he just, you know, always standing up. for. He is survived by his wife, Holly, and children, Chelsea, Blake, and Dustin, son-in-law, Brian, daughters-in-law, Eva and Alex, grandchildren, Mason, Harper, Blakely, Breck, Briar, and Wallace, well, that's a tongue twister, mm-hmm. brother Ralph, and his dog, Caleb. And his dog, who, did you, any of you met his dog? Caleb, yeah. Yeah. Just, I mean, just an amazing dog with all of this, just tons and tons of energy. Thankfully, at first, Blake was going to take him back to Australia, but it ended up being too much, or New Zealand, I should say, New Zealand. Um, so the dog, they found a ranch up in, I think, Northern California that the dog is now at that just has free roam to go wherever he wants to. Hmm. So there you go. Um, I'll give you guys a copy of this. You know, Greg, I had two of his kids in class. No, and I knew Holly quite well. She's a very talented ceramic artist as well. Sawdust. He always built a good booth down there. I remember that morning. Good evening. Good evening. Thank you. Good evening. 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 Good all right, well, let me, um, let me open in prayer, and we'll get started. Heavenly Father, we do just thank you for the life of John Pettit, just in so many ways in which you gave him so many adventures and protected him through that, and we particularly just pray for his friendship. Um, we pray for just the witness he was to you and to your word in our studies. And Lord, we lift up his family today, Lord. We lift up Holly um, as she is grieving for through this. And we also pray for Blake, his son, for Dustin, his son, for Blake's um, safe trip back to New Zealand, and for Chelsea, who lives in Santa Barbara, and just hold their kids, Lord. Um, just be with this family as, as they grieve. Um, and I just, I pray for every one of his family members, Lord that they, if they don't know you, they will come to know you, that they will just see that witness of John's passion for you, and that they, you would just give them that passion to love you and love others as John so well did. Um, and I just tonight, Lord, um, pray for all of those who just are sick, Lord, that you will um, 
in health-wise and many ways. I know a lot of people are struggling with many different ailments. We just pray for Bruce's um, blood clot. I'm just going to pray it's not even there anymore, that you have taken that away. Um, and for all those going through any kind of struggles, Lord, just be with them tonight. And I just pray you guide us by your spirit in Jesus' name. All right, Um, so I was originally going to go, if you guys saw my email, I was originally planning on sort of getting into the last servant song, Um, but I sort of changed that (laughs) for tonight because in some part we didn't really finish a key piece of what I wanted to go through last week, so I want to get to that this week and close that off before we actually go into... Um, Isaiah, the last servant song with that. Um, and what I'd like you to do is let's go ahead and turn to, um, if you have your book here, Isaiah, or just in your Bibles, Isaiah 49. And I want to just sort of remind us of something we started two weeks ago, and I want to sort of build off of that tonight as we end this, um, some, the, look at something between Isaiah that we read last week and where we're going to hit with Isaiah 53. So, if you remember, we were saying that sort of the story of God that we see Isaiah bringing about was like this. For those of you who are here, okay, this is Jeff's, I can use this, (laughs) which, and what I use this hourglass for was an example, if you remember, for those of you who are here, what was I saying this was up here? All these grains up here. Uh, so this sort of represents time for Old Testament to New Testament. And what was I saying about who were these grains of sand up here? Anyone remember who saw that? Anyone <laughs> remember? Okay. Who was it? Well, we were talking about Isaiah and the servant songs. If you remember the very first time, I, the very first time Israel is called my servant, okay, in Isaiah I think 42, the very first song, very first time servant language is really used in the old, in Isaiah, it is dealing with it says my servant and who's being addressed there is Israel, okay, is believing Israel, okay, or even maybe some unbelieving Israel at that point. But in essence, God's people that he chose. And he was addressing them as they're in exile in Babylon. And so all during that time, the servant was really the nation of Israel, okay, or the people of Israel, God's chosen people. So in the Old Testament, if you look at all these grains of sand here, those represented, in essence, this was in Isaiah's time at the beginning, this was really who the servant was. The people, the nation, okay, who are supposed to fulfill God's promise to the world to be what? A light to the world. A light to the world, okay, blessing to the nations. And what you see in Isaiah is you see that that's not happening, right? Even now that they're in exile, still there's there's all this um, turning away, all this idols. Um, even though God says in opening of Isaiah 40, comfort, comfort my people, you know, still you see this, that Israel, even in exile, still does not get it. They're still not following the Lord. 
So what we saw with the servant songs, is what the servant songs start doing, is they start saying, in essence, you people are not cutting it. <laughs> okay? You're not being my servant. And so what you start seeing with the servant songs, and the reason why they're called the servant songs, is you start seeing that because the people are not being God's servant, that God is going to do something different. All right. And so what what is God going to do different? The what? Messiah. The Messiah. Exactly. So he's we see in the servant songs this narrowing, 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 in essence saying, You all you people can't do it. I'm going to call a new servant. A servant to be the one who's going to do what you were not able to do, to be who you were not able to be, to really be my servant. All right. And so what we have in Isaiah 49, and I'll just read this right now. So, so listen to this. All right. We have Isaiah 49, one of the servant songs, verse five and six. So it says, and now the Lord says, he who formed me, speaking of this now servant, which is we know ultimately is going to be Christ. He who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him. Jacob is Israel. 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 Very good, John. And that Israel might be gathered to him. Jacob and Israel really, well, we had a whole discussion about that, Jason. But for right now, just picture Jacob, Israel in this context being really Israel, the people. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. And then he says what the mission is of this now single servant. All right. So instead of all these people who are not really fulfilling that, now there's just going to be one. So you can almost picture, like right here, you know, there's only one grain going through. Just, there's just going to be one. And this is what his mission is going to be. It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. That is what the servant's going to do. He is going to bring back Jacob and he's going to bring back Israel, but he's going to do more. (laughs) All right? And what is more he's going to do? I will make you as a light for the nations. Does that sound familiar? Who was supposed to be the light for the nations? Israel. Israel. No, but now the single servant is. I'm going to make you a light for the nations, the Lord God says, that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. So at this point in Isaiah, God is now saying, although again, the people in Isaiah were not really seeing this going to be this Messiah necessarily, but what we're seeing as we look back, and the New Testament tells us is, This is now narrowed down to a single person who is going to accomplish this, which is going to be obviously the Son of God. Mm -hmm. All right? Everyone following me so far? Mm -hmm. Okay. So, grab your Bible Bibles. So, yes. Is this something that the, the Jews even today have a problem with? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. (laughs) <laughs> so the Jews today no are going to say that there is a Messiah. They are, I mean, 
I don't know. They probably they're definitely not going to recognize that the Isaiah and the servant in these servant songs. Now I can't speak this for sure in certainty. Okay, a lot of Jews believe a lot of different things. Like you know, Christians have different views of things. <coughs> but I would say that Israel today, Jews, um, believing Jews, would say that they're still waiting for the Messiah. So one way people put it is we the difference between Christians and is, is um, and Jews today are that Christians believe the Messiah has come and will come again. Israel Jews believe that the Messiah is still yet to come. Does that make sense? Sure. Okay. No. <laughs> it's very well, excuse. Yeah. So, but. They will, and I was hearing, reading about this, they, a lot of the Jews today, if you were to go through Isaiah like we are, and read about the servant, they would probably still argue, even in what we just read, that they are the servant. Hmm. Okay? That this, this was the task given to them by Abraham as a nation to be this. They have faltered with that, which I think many of them would admit, they faltered with that, but they're still the one ultimately going to be, be the servant, like they're supposed to be, which, in the end, will probably be true. But do Jews have some sort of eschatology for that, for the Messiah coming? Are they as obsessed by well, that as Christians are? Oh yeah. Okay. Oh yes. In fact, that's pretty much what you mean. You look at the prophets. What are all the prophets doing? The prophets are all foretelling that ultimately there's going to be some something's going to deliver them. Either God's, God's going to deliver them, but there's going to be a Messiah. But they probably do not think that Messiah looks like Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> they probably think that Messiah looks a lot more like who? David. David. Exactly. Okay. Because that's, that's how they would look at the servant. Is we're going to have, or a king is going to be like David. So that's their servant. Somebody like David. Yes. Yeah. Rather than thinking of themselves as servants. Well, they think of themselves as a servant on one hand as a nation, but the nation but always has to have a king who's going to be the king. It would be someone like David and Messiah, who yeah. Christ saved the people. I mean, that's a... Anybody have any comments about that? I mean, that's sort like of my overview. solution instead of a spiritual yeah, solution. I hear you. Yeah. Well, well yeah. in reading that, you're going, okay, there's actually probably a significant amount of support for that. There's mm-hmm. all this speak of... You know, the highest mountain, Zion, I'll build my temple. Everything's leading everyone to you. If you read it from the uh-huh. Jews' perspective, okay, that I can go with that argument. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, we're going to be, I will make you a light for the nations, yeah. for my salvation to reach to the end of the earth. If I'm a Jew, based on everything else I'm reading, I'm thinking that doesn't mean I have to go out. They will all come to me. Well. Right? <laughs> I mean, uh-huh. that's what yeah. it's. And we read about that, what, last week or the week before, Isaiah 2, um, going to Revelation, you look at all these verses, and you do see that ultimately, the way you knew that Isaiah was being the light of the nations, is the nations, which happened during the time of Solomon, just for a little moment, the nations will see that they're the light, and the nations will come to them. Right. And that's what we read in Isaiah 2, at the end of time, the nations will come. We read that, what, last week or the week before? Um, So... That's why if you ever have a chance to, I mean, if you ever have a chance to talk to Jewish believers, it's probably not a good idea to try to 
read this and say, that's Jesus. But what you can do is read this, and, and, and because we're all part of the same spiritual family, Abraham, is to look at this at least initially and go, let's read this. What do you guys think this is? I mean, Isaiah's a group, the servant songs are a great discussion to have with Jews because this is their Bible, and, you know, like, what do you guys think? It, it's a way that could ultimately lead to maybe then talking about Jesus. Um, sort of like Jeff's little illustration he used, um, did we say that was the Sunday, right? The Sunday when you, when you talked about your little letter and you said, okay, well, let's not say Jesus, uh-huh. but we're going to say this other stuff to sort of lead you to that. Now you click on this link. <laughs> ah, whoop, whoa, with Jesus. <laughs> All right, so. Have you ever heard these songs actually sung? Um, I have not heard these songs sung, hmm. and it's poetry, so it is something that, that could that could be sung. Um, I know the psalms were sung, and these are songs. These are poetic Psalm songs. Yeah, I'm interested in hearing a yeah. song if yeah. there's a Especially recording of it. Or yeah. If you ever get a chance, go to like a, um, I mean, you go to Messianic, which are Jews that believe in Jesus, a service. But what's beautiful is to actually go to a, um, thank you. Love when you guys just pick up my thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> At 63, almost 64, it's helpful to help you guys or to help my memory. <laughs> Uh, but go to synagogue and go to service. Oh my gosh, I, I did that for the Bay Area. Sure. Wow. Fascinating. In the Bay Area, in Palo Alto, by the church I was at, massive city was built within the city of Palo Alto um, of, of Jews. And it, it was like literally a city within a city with walls and everything. Um, but I went to some of their Bible studies. So is that Jerusalem West? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but you, I went to one of their Bible studies, and it's fascinating. I mean, you want to see, I mean, um, I would love, like, us all go up into, you know, one of the Jewish Bible studies, and it is all men. Um, you go in there, and man, these, they, it's like Jesus' time. You feel like you're back in the time of Jesus. I mean, they, Come on. they are, they, I'm serious, they love their word. And they can argue it, and they can defend it, and they talk about it. I mean, it is, it is, it's really convicting. I mean, they love the Word of God. They love their Torah, which means teaching, sure. which means the Word of God. Um, so anyway, we're getting off, but... Um, oh, this okay. All right. So, for us, we know that that wasn't being fulfilled. And so ultimately what we see, and the New Testament tells us, is that now it's going to be someone who's going to be that servant. Right? Follow that? So turn to, um, actually turn to Luke 2.32. Yeah, Luke 2.32. And you're going to watch how this happens. And where we're going is to sort of see, like, what does that mean? Because we're not here. I don't think, I hope you guys aren't here. Okay, I mean, otherwise you're really old. Okay. <laughs> we're not here. We're down here. So we have to sort of know, okay, this was the story of how we, where we are, but we have to sort of know that story. Okay. You have to also figure out how we live that out. That's where I'm going to go tonight. So Luke 2. Um, I'm start, so let me start, um, 
up in 25. So it says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do what? Why did they bring the child Jesus in to do him according to the custom of the law? Circumcision. Yeah. Circumcision. Bread. <laughs> yeah. Of course. Um, according to the custom of the law, he took him <clears throat> up in his arms. You just, it's just amazing. It's Simeon taking up Jesus, little baby Jesus, in his arms, and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light of revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Where is Simeon quoting from? He's actually quoting from Isaiah 41 that we just read. Isaiah, sorry, Isaiah 49, 6 that we just read. So Simeon is hearing from the Spirit that this servant talked about in Isaiah is actually now this little baby Jesus. Mm. Okay? Using that same verse, going back and telling the Jews, this is the servant. Okay? So far, so good? Mm-hmm. All right, now when you turn to Acts 13. So if you ever talk to Jews, you guys can go through, through these verses and see how that goes. <laughs> you never know, you might have a missing out. You know what a missing out of Jew is? A missing out of Jew is someone who is a Jew. <laughs> who now believes in Jesus as the Messiah. Um, and there's whole even churches and stuff there are Messianic Jewish services you go to where it feels more like a synagogue than um, sort of a mix of both. Um, okay. Acts what? Acts 13. Alright, and I'm going to read I'm going to read a fairly long passage here. We read this a couple weeks ago, but I want to sort of continue on the thought of where we were ending off there. This uh, this is Paul, all right, um, and he is he's tr- going through his travels, and I'm not going to start the whole part there. I'm going to start at verse 26. I want you to watch how Paul here uses the Old Testament to, to speak to the Jews, to say, again, that this Jesus is the servant, okay, and what he's now saying about that. So, um, but listen how we will use all these Old Testament quotes in which to prove his point. So as he says in verse 26, brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, okay, and those, and listen to the language, and those among you who fear God, to us who has been sent the message of this salvation. Now, who are those who fear God? Well, they're not the Israel, they're not the Jews. Who are those who fear God in this situation? Gentiles. The Gentiles, very good, okay. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him, nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning them. And though they found him no guilt, 
and although, although they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from a tree and laid him in a tomb. But, <laughs> this is why we're all here today. <laughs> Just to remind you, we're all sitting here on a Tuesday night, not watching TV or home with, you know, we are here because of the word but. All right? But God raised him from the dead, and for many days he appeared to those who had come up from him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news, the gospel, that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled, which is really, right, all the stuff we've been reading Isaiah, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus as also is written in the second psalm. So he starts out in psalm and quotes psalm 2-7. You are my son, today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way. I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Quoting Isaiah 55-3. Therefore he says also in another psalm, psalm, you will not let your holy one see corruption. Psalm 16.10. You see how Paul is just threading the Old Testament together? For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. And now he quotes Isaiah 29, 14. Oh. <laughs> he just threatened these things. Look, you scoffers, be astonished, be astounded and, per- and perish, for I am doing the work in your days, a work that you would not believe, even if one tells it to you. As they went out, the people begged, and I love this, the people begged that they might come the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. Next week, next service, okay, (laughs) next Sabbath, almost a whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. So you can just imagine during that whole week, this whole city, everyone's talking about this, right? Oh, you guys got to come listen to this about who this who this Jesus is. Hmm. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, "It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrusted us." Who was the word of God first spoken through to here to the Jews? Since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, Very good. I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Okay? So Paul is making it very explicit, these things that we're now seeing in Isaiah is Jesus. He is the servant. He is the servant that is going to fulfill what ultimately Israel is supposed to fulfill. Okay? But now my question is, 
who, who, who's this? This is Jesus here. Who's this down here? Oh, who's all these pieces of sand now? Gentile. That's right. <laughs> all right. How do we know that? Second Corinthians. <laughs> Our last passage. Okay. I knew you had an answer. Second Corinthians. I want to look at chapter six. It's just fascinating watching how the New Testament takes all the things we've been doing in Isaiah and just brings it together. Okay. So Second Corinthians um, six, and if you remember in First Corinthians five, it ended with a very famous passage. You know, um, like starting at 514, for the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one who has died for all, therefore all have died. Notice, watch how this logic happens. The one who died, okay, has died for all, all right, for all, all here, all right. Um, therefore all have died, and he died for all, that those who might live no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Really no longer live for themselves. I mean, that's a lot of what Jeff's preaching through right now and going through in First John. Mm-hmm. All right, because he first loved us, we are now to love others. I mean, it's the whole message of First John. All right. So from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... He is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us a ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of salvation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Many of us stop right there in that verse. But listen, (laughs) what happens when Paul continues? He reveals something to us, like, he says, working together in verse chapter 6, verse 1, working together with him then, we appeal to you, meaning all of you, plural, not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. What is that a quote from? Isaiah 49. See what Paul's doing now? Who is he applying this to now? He says, behold, now is a favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Who is being referred to now as the servant in this passage now? Who is he referring to? Christ. Not just referring to Christ anymore. He's saying we now are all the servants of the servant. (laughs) He's now using Isaiah and saying now we are the ones who have received this salvation. Now we are the ones who are to be the servants of the servant. 
this is what our, this is who we are now, <laughs> down here. Is we are now the ones, see how it's, and just see how it just sort of switched around? Originally, Israel was a nation to be the servant. They weren't fulfilling that. Went down to Christ, and now today, that is now upon us to be the ones who are the servants of the servant, who are to be the ones to be the light of the nations. Okay? They want to follow that? Yep. All right. So what? how would you identify, how do you know you're here? How do you know when you're doing it? Doing what? When you're walking in the light, when you're practicing. Oh, okay. When you're practicing when you everything. Christ. Well, yeah. When you, right. You so you definitely, definitely that. You accept that salvation. Today is the day of salvation. Now that you've accepted that salvation, so what does it look like to, to know that you are down here? How do you know you're the servant you are a servant of the servant. You're loving others. What'd you say? Hmm? What'd you say? Loving others. Loving others. Exactly. How else? Why don't you just think? How By else your conduct. You By your conduct? Good. It goes back to Galatians. With the I'm not looking for a specific I'm just generally looking at Basically, all the fruits of the Spirit. Fruits of the Spirit. Perfect. Exactly. Love. Love. Probably number one. Yep. What other things are evidence of the life that you live that says you are the servant of the servant? What other things would you... What does the Lord require of you? To love mercy, do justly, and walk humbly with your Lord. Okay, excellent. Yeah. The choices you make. Hmm? The choices you make. Yeah, choices you make. All right. I think that conscious acknowledgement that that is who you are and what you're doing, and every day growing in that. But yeah. it's, it's not just kind of, hey, I serve to church and I get to check that box. I'm a servant, right? No, yeah. it's like it's it's <clears throat> saying, hey, this is who I am. This is this is I'm defining myself according to what. God has told me I am. Yeah, you yeah. continue in 6. It tells us that we're men- we commend ourselves as ministers to God to All right. continue the, the previous thought. Yeah. Uh, I like what Jason so says. says Hold on for a minute. Patience and tribulation and need and distresses and stripes and imprisonment. Whatever it is, by purity, by knowledge and all suffering, by kindness, the Holy Spirit, by sincere love, by the word of truth and the word and in the power of God and the hour of armor of righteousness. Um, all kinds of stuff here. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but it, it's this, he seems to be encapsulating what it meant to be Isaiah 49.8 as he follows that, with that thought over here. But to serve one another and lay down your life for each other. Yeah. Very, very good. So, did you see what, what Tom did? That was good. Um, he just continued reading from Isaiah 6, too. 
because Paul does answer that question. All of you just answered the question right. I mean, we have all these different ways in which we're that way. But what is interesting is what none of you answered. Listen to how Paul answers. Okay? So when you listen to this again, Isaiah 6 2, how does Paul answer that question? He says, We put no obstacle in anyone's way, that no fault may be found with, within our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, and then listen to that every way. Great endurance in afflictions, in hardships, in calamities, in beatings, in imprisonment, in riots, in labors, in sleepless nights, in hunger. You just... What does that sound like that we looked at last week? What are, what, what's, the, what's the word used for all those suffering. things I just... Suffering. Remember how when we looked at Isaiah 50 last week, we said, what is the difference with, as a servant, songs start to progress? What is the thing that we start seeing in the second to last servant song that we're going to see even more so in the last servant song? Is what's the demonstration of that you are here? It is suffering for the sake of Christ. Long suffering. Long, yeah, long, long, long suffering. I don't, well, yeah. Uh, something about that just sits odd with me. Uh huh. He's demonstrating the proof of of his fruit. Absolutely. Okay. That doesn't mean that's his fruit. Or yours. Oh, okay. And so, mm-hmm. what does it mean to fear God? Uh-huh. Yeah, very good. Okay. When, uh-huh. when In those days, when you said, this is a man that doesn't fear God, very that automatically question. went hand in hand with, this man doesn't fear anything else. Uh-huh. That's a man to be feared. Right? Uh-huh. And, accordingly, just suffering, fearless. It's not something that you even, it's just, it's not in your realm of being. You don't want to even look at it like suffering. You're not afraid of it. You would mm-hmm. step right into it, right? But it's, would you uh, not call that suffering? No, no. Once you've crossed that, once you've crossed the Rubicon, it's no longer suffering. It's joy. Well, your response to it may be joy, but that joy comes through. That's right. The so when you suffering. define yeah. what it is, though, that to me that's critical, uh-huh. right? How do you prove that you're a servant? And I'm not saying let's go out and prove ourselves a servant by creating ourselves suffering. Right. But what it is saying is that the demonstration of the way you can see that someone is being that servant is they, the, the one of the things, not the only thing by far, through the Spirit. All the things you guys just mentioned, great. But one of the things that is demonstrated by that is the same thing that's demonstrated by the servant, which is one who suffers. Oh, yeah. And well, often they suffer for what reason? For the... Love of others. For the, the sacrifice sake of others. Of others. Exactly. Sub- submission. Exactly. That's it. Once you submit, you submit completely and you fear nothing but God... All of this is totally, it's all possible and it's all done with, it's, it's like switching. So to, for us to talk about it like suffering is, is 
from our worldly perspective, mm-hmm. right? I think that's what it, that's like the stuff behind the curtain that we should be looking at in that. What is he really saying there, right? Because to, to you tell somebody, hey, you come serve Christ, get, you know, stoned, beaten, you know, uh, you know threatened, <laughs> right. riots, whatever, right. jailed, it's awesome. Now, it's your, your whole sense of reality, what that becomes, is something totally different. Yeah. Go ahead, Picking up on what Jason said earlier, that I think the important thing is it's not an event. It's a path. And just as a servant has a continuing mission, mm-hmm. when you're following Christ, it's a continuous path. And the path has mistakes. Uh-huh. And it has suffering. And it has joys. But right. it's an ongoing relationship and walking toward instead of away. Very good. So what does that path look like? <laughs> it's different for Jason. It's different for me. It's different for everybody. Well, sure. I think it's different about the events that happen that sure. cause those things. But I think the overall thing, <clears throat> I mean, 1 Corinthians 11 1, Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Mm-hmm. If you are serving Christ in this way, one of the things, because this, I didn't end the thing. I mean, he went on. You start reading, there's a whole list of things that are also blessings and all this too, okay? And there's a joy that you say comes from that suffering. But all those things are evidence of this is someone who is following Christ. So someone looks at your life, it's like we read the obituary of John, okay? When someone looks at your life, Paul's basically sort of giving them their pre, his pre-obituary this is what it looks like. In fact, 1 Corinthians 6, 2 through 13 is a really good example of this is what the Christian life looks like. This is the path you're talking about. I look at it as a path of overcoming because we're all sinners. Uh-huh. And so it's a path of overcoming that sin in our life on a continuing basis. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because Satan's going to keep after you. Yeah. Yeah. So... Just as a servant is an ongoing relationship, I think that it's an ongoing path of constant correction back to an optimum, if you will. Yeah. Being pushed around by the world. Exactly. And I think what you're seeing here is you're seeing that description of, of that path. I mean, so in other words, it's sort of like if you're looking, you're saying, how do I know I'm on that path? Not again, we're ever saying we want to suffer. <laughs> But Paul's saying, if you're on that path, Jesus says that too, blessed are those who are persecuted, right? You're going to see, if you're on that path, part of what's going to happen is that suffering. You even see that in the servant songs. You see this progression where all of a sudden, the third servant song, you start seeing that this Christ is going to have to suffer, which is what sort of freaked everybody out. That's what scared everybody away. I don't want to suffer. I would suggest you know, I want to be like, you know, the ones who are going to be the right hand of Jesus, but I don't want to suffer. Right? Yeah, suffering <laughs> is the process of dying to self. Yeah, yeah. That's what it is. Yeah. Once you've submitted into that and you don't have a fear of it, then it's, no. you, the, the it's an opportunity. The point I'm trying to make is, is when you take that leap, your whole sense of that concept just changes completely. It's like a critical thing to... to yeah, and I totally agree with you. The attitude inside, absolutely, which is what drives you with the ability to keep going, even 
though you suffer and you hit resistance, you're going to keep going because you know that joy that's inside of you because you know Christ. And you, you, right. <laughs> he who formed me from the womb to be his servant. Yeah. When we, that we're called to take on that identity as exactly. well. Exactly. Right? Right. So when you know that, it's the only reason I'm here. I'm not here to be anything else is just part of that process, right? Yeah, Tom, you were saying something? Just Paul had mentioned something in Philippians 4 um, when he's talking about I know how to be in need and want and have plenty and learn the secret of contentment. Mm-hmm. Um, in every situation, bad, poor, whether plenty or want, it's really at the end of the day is to, my brother's point is, that, you know, it doesn't matter, I can do all things through the servant. Right. As we suffer together through the blessing, so that we can have that peace that surpasses all understanding in those moments where we're challenged mm-hmm. and serving one another, because that doesn't always feel good either. Um, and then how do you define suffering these days? And what is suffering? Yeah. And is that, to my small brain, is it, Oh, I'm suffering because I didn't get my my latte. It wasn't hot enough. Yes. <laughs> you know, or I didn't get the parking spot that I wanted, or you know, it's you know, first world problems. But what is suffering in Christ? As like I said, like a as a ministers of God, it's a little different, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and how versus hey, this is a disappointment, or this is. Um, different than suffering um, or inconvenience or those kinds of things that I think we think about as suffering. <laughs> a cold latte is not suffering. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, Greg, I, uh, one of the stories of the Bible when uh, Paul's in jail, and is it with Silas? Or I forget who he's in jail with, but they're singing songs of praise and joy. Yeah. And then, of course, the earthquake comes, and then the Roman soldiers about ready to fall and say, hey, don't do that. You know, we're here. It's that, um, going back to what Jason's saying about, he doesn't fear. And he finds calm and peace and joy even in suffering. Mm-hmm. And he knows that uh, the only thing I can think of is that God's in control. And it's okay. You know, it is what it is because this is exactly the way it's supposed to be. Right. And embrace it. And make the best of it. And... Try to find out, get your own joy and peace through that, and may that maybe add, be a light to the people around you. In this case, the the guard is going to fall on his own sword, and then he right. became a, a believer because yeah. of that. Yeah. I think it points to the importance of the church. Hmm. Because supporting one another through walking through those hmm. things with one another and being able to... My wife has a, a saying... Trouble shared is trouble halved. Trouble shared is trouble halved. Mm-hmm. And so the importance of the church is is that support in the struggle. Yeah, yeah, good, good. Yeah, Jeff. I just was thinking of this story. Um, did you ever read Fox's Book of Martyrs? Uh-huh. Yeah. There's a story of this guy. Got some water like talking. His name is Thomas Hawks, and um, they were being burned at the stake for their faith, not recanting. And um, and they 
came up with this symbol where they would, they would raise their hands if the pain was bearable. Hmm. And, um, and they would do it. He, Tom, I think Thomas Hawk was the one who started it. They said basically for the martyrs, as an encouragement to the church, they would say, if the pain's bearable, raise your hands. And so these martyrs started doing that. As they would be burned, they would just raise their hands. But, I mean, maybe to Jason's point, that, um, like, God's with them in this yeah. moment, right? right? Right. And you're like, so I'm sure, I'm sure it was painful still, but there's something kind of beautiful, I guess. In mm-hmm. Well, it's like when Stephen was stoned. Yeah. Yeah. Right. He, he shone with glory. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's interesting if you take a look at the Second Corinthians, Paul sort of speaks about what prevents us from being willing to have that joy to go through that. He says, uh, we have speak, spoken to you, this is 11, we have spoken freely to you, Corinthians, our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us. I love this. But you are restricted in your own affections. Uh, that the thing that stops them from being this is their own desires, their own affections, the world that draws them to say, this is more important and I want to avoid the suffering rather than just being in joy and the suffering that doesn't matter, going along with your point, but being willing to step into that, keep going down that path. That if there's suffering, I keep going down that path. I don't let the world and the affections and all the That's things it. that are nice take me away from that. You know? It brings you so close to God yeah. while you're going through success. Yeah, exactly. So strong. Yeah. So, I want you to turn now to Isaiah, where we left off last week. So Isaiah 50 um, was the last sermon song we were looking at. And I want you to take a look at... So, page 282, if you have your, you have this. So, we were reading through last week, we were reading through, and ultimately, what is we know is Jesus, where it talked about he is going to go through the suffering. So, it was the first hint we started getting at this, that the servant was going to go through suffering. And so, it said, for example, in verse 5 on, on page 280, the Lord opened, um, has opened my ear. I was not rebellious. I turned not backwards. I gave my back to those who would strike and my cheeks to those who pull out their beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. And actually, you see the fulfillment of that mark, I think. Did we, I think we looked at that last week. And then it goes on, but the Lord God helps me, helps me in that suffering of that disgrace and, and that. Um, therefore, I have not been disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint. There's Eric, there's your path, <laughs> right? It's like what Jesus says, I set my face. This is where I'm going. This is my path. And I know that I shall not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near, which obviously means if someone needs to be vindicated, they're under that suffering. Who will contend with me? Let us stand together. Who is my adversary? Let him come near me. It's like you see, you know, the servant's not afraid. Then verse 9, Behold, the Lord God helps me. See that repeated again? God's going to help me. Who would declare me guilty? Behold, all of them wear a garment, wear out like a garment. The moth will eat them up. 
So what happens here is in verse 9, there now becomes a transition to verse 10. 1 through 9 is speaking of the servant, Jesus. But verse 10 and 11 is going to speak of the servants of the servant. Okay, Are you a servant of the servant? And verse 10 is going to define and ask, okay, all of you out there, all of us here, right? This one says, who among you, so you can just picture like God calling all of us right now, who among you <laughs> fears the Lord? You said that earlier, Jason. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? Let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. I would say this one passage really sort of encapsulates this is the life of the servant who is following the servant. Uh-huh. Because this servant does what? So I want you to listen to this, and you think about your life and description of it, okay? Who among you fears the Lord? Sort of like a question. Who, who here fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? Anyone raise your hands? <laughs> okay. Oh, yeah. All right. What is that going to look like as you go down that path? So you're starting to go down that path. I don't have any fear of God. And fear of the, I mean, I fear the Lord only. Okay. You, you've got, you're starting in your path. I fear the Lord only. I'm reading his word. I'm obeying his word. I'm going down this path. And then we get a little bit of a like wake-up call what that path is going to look like in certain places, which is not what we expect. <laughs> so what does that path look like? What's, what's going to happen? Seriously, what's going to happen? Look at what it says. What is going to happen as you walk down that path? You're walking in darkness. You're going to, all the lights are going to go out. You're walking in this world. Yeah. You're going to go through a time, some part repeated, whatever it is, where all the lights go out. And you're going to be saying, going up to Jeff, and you're going to say, Jeff, I've been li- I listened to your sermons on First John, and you kept talking about being in the light, but I'm in darkness. I don't see the light. It's dark. It's scary. It's scary. I don't see my path anymore. Right. What's happening in the world? You know, all the fears, everything, it's going to just go black. And I know people right now who are walking through this, and they just see no hope, and they just go, it's just dark. And there is no light. And that is a path of the Christian at times. Oh, yeah. Because then it says that. We don't want to hear this. Like, JC, you don't want to go up to a Christian and say, you want to be a Christian or go to someone who's not a believer? Hey, you want to be a Christian? It's really fun. We get to suffer together, right? Yeah. 
You want to go up to Krishna and say, it's really fun, because we're, at times you're going to feel like you don't know if there's a God. You don't know what's next. You are in this darkness and there is no light. And God's going to take you through that. Very humbly. Yeah. Because look, look what it says. It says, trust in the name of the Lord when you're in that darkness and rely on God. Yeah, Eric. I reflect on Jeff's sermon a couple months ago. And um, I would suggest that the biggest impediment is ourselves. And one of the things that I memorize goes like this. It is difficult to resist evil because choosing the right path often calls for personal sacrifices, which we're unwilling to make. Nevertheless, choose the right path. It's those things that Jeff asked in the question. <coughs> what is it that you're unwilling to let go of that holds you back from the true path? What you just said there is exactly <coughs> why bridging that gap between suffering and joy is so critical to understand. Because what am I unwilling to give up? In my mind, it seems pretty cool until I realize how truly just inadequate, lame, terrible it actually is compared to this reality that you can only get to through that complete leap. And the things that we think are horrible on this side of the fence, right? Once you get over there, it's a whole other deal. But that is, that's that sort of same. So we're responsible for our own darkness. Totally. There's a, there's a saying in Texas, it's, uh, the devil made me do it the first time, the second time I've done it on my own. Amen to that. That's right. Yeah, but that's, 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 yeah. But it got easier. <laughs> it got yeah. easier. Yeah. So how do you? Yeah. That's why it's a How do you make sure? So if you know you're going to go through that darkness, and maybe many of you probably have, or maybe some of you are in it right now. But if you're in that darkness, what do we do when we're in that darkness? What does our passage tell us we are to do? Because a natural thing is going to be. You're going to be scared to death. Right. And you're going to want to maybe give up. Or you, I mean, whatever is going to come through and the feelings are going to come up, right? What is it that this verse tells us? Because this verse doesn't just tell us, expect to go through that darkness. We will. It tells us how to get through that darkness. How do we get through that darkness? It tells us one thing, one way of getting through that darkness. The way of getting through that darkness. What's the say? I want you guys to look. She says, more than the light well, of yeah, it does say more than what? Trust by the light of your crystal and by the torches that you Well, no, those are, that's saying your own. That's, yeah. That's a man Oh, oh okay. So, good. Well, actually, since you just said that, let me just tell you, <laughs> sorry, this is what you don't do. Okay? Verse 11 is what you don't do because this is what we do. It gets really dark. And we wonder, is God there? 
you know, et cetera, et cetera. So one of the tendencies we have is to do exactly what Charlie said, all right? Which I would call that in biblical terms now, which is from Texas, okay? Which is, verse 11, Behold, all of you who kindle a fire, so you go right. start your own fire, you start your own light, I'm going to make my own light, who equip themselves with burning torches, walk by the light of your fire, and by the torches that you have kindled, this you have from your hand, you shall lie down in torment. So in other words, you're going to create your own hell if you try to light your own light in that darkness. This you have from mine. Yeah, but well. He's saying, you you go ahead and do that, but this is what I'm going to give you. Yeah, exactly. Right. Okay. So that's what you want to do, though. We want to. We want to do. We want to go create our own light. You know, whatever that is, so I can sort of think. I can see what's going on. Let me snatch onto the world. Let me snatch onto this thing going on in the world. Let me do something. Let me. I mean, drugs, alcohol, all the sexual sins, all those types of sins. But then let me also just grab onto the certainty of this thing that people are doing in the world, or whatever it is. Follow this group. And you're trying to light your own torch. Mm-hmm. But what is it that it says in this passage that we are to do to make sure we stay on that path? Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean back. That's not what this passage says. That, no, that's not. Well, okay. Fear the Lord and obey what the voice this? of his servants. Okay, so what are we to do? Fear the Lord and obey Jesus. Okay. So I want you guys to look at that passage, okay? Because it's very key what it says here. So you know, this is Hebrew poet, basically Hebrew poetry. So what you have is in the first statement, you have the question, who among you fears the Lord? And then the next statement says, this is how you fear the Lord, okay? So the very first statement, just like, the very, notice how it says, you walk in darkness, there is no light. There's, there's sort of con. In the first thing it says, who among you fears the Lord? This is how you fear the Lord. Is you, what? Obey the word. Obey, obey, obey the voice Christ. of his servant. That word obey is a word here. Is the word Shema in Hebrew. It is one of the most important words of all of Scripture. Shema, O Israel. Hear, O Israel. The Lord is my God. The Lord is one. It goes all the way back to Deuteronomy. Mm -hmm. But hear, hear. What did did we hear Isaiah tell us that's our theme verse? Isaiah what? Isaiah 6. Hear, hear, hear. (laughs) Are you hearing what God says? And in, in the Bible, in, in the Word of God, hear, I think Jesse was saying this, hear is obey. There is no distinction. You cannot say, I heard God, you God, which is what people are doing in Israel. I hear you, but I'm not going to obey you. Shema is always the same. And in fact, the language that's used here mirrors the actual Hebrew back in Isaiah 6. It what says, does Shema what, mean? Shema means hear, obey. Hear, hear obey. obey. Hear, obey. Uh, <laughs> here, it gets translated obey. Other versions will say hear. <laughs> Other versions will say listen. 
it's pay most careful attention to what God says is really what, what it is. But it's the hearing. And what are you hearing? The voice of God. What do you do when you're in darkness? So what are you going to do when you're in that darkness? You obey the word. Exactly. You're going question. to hear and obey what? That's not a question? No. That's, the, the question is, who among you fears the Lord? Okay, because okay. version it says he's giving you the answer right away. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's right. rhetorical version. Yeah, it is. It is a. It's sort of a poet, poetic movement here. Who of you fears the Lord? If you're one who fears the Lord, okay. then you. you better obey. The, the, okay. one who, the one who obeys God. Is the one who fears the Lord. Very good. The That's ones exactly. Who don't obey. Yeah. Obviously, haven't heard. Right, and if you don't obey the Lord. Then, <laughs> what are you going to fear? Everything. That's right. Everything. The darkness. That's right. You won't see what's coming. And you'll be afraid of it. Yeah. Uh, on that note, do you mind if we jump back super quick to 49 5? Okay. So, 40, 49 5? 5. Isaiah? Yeah. Uh huh. So, this to me is. Christ's declaration of mission, right? And ours as well. Uh-huh. Which was, was interesting. We were talking about the uh, Jews seeing this as them, not right. Jesus. Right, right. Which really isn't wrong either, right? It's, it's, yeah, they're supposed to be. That's right. They were called it's, to be. It's them. also true, and it's also right. true for us. But Christ lays it out here uh-huh. in a way that, in, that that darkness, that fear, all that what we're talking about here, saying, do you fear the Lord? Do what Jesus tells you to do, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, that that's cool. That's fundamental. Uh-huh. Now Christ is telling us the mindset, the mentality Yes. right here, so that we can do that and, and do that without fear uh-huh. and do that with total certainty, right? And now the Lord says, he who formed me from the womb to be his servant, Okay. When we embrace that reality, because we were formed in the womb to be that's right, right, to bring Jacob back to him, and that Israel might be gathered to him, uh huh, and ourselves, right? For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. My strength. Yeah, not my own. Right. Exactly. Which is exactly what it says in ten. Trust in the name of the Lord and rely on God. He is your strength. Mm. And the servant just said that. The Lord is one who helps me. The Lord is the one who helps me. When you're in that darkness, the Lord is the one who helps you. Absolutely. Could you call that the process of sanctification? It is the process of sanctification. I would say it's probably the most pure sense of what sanctification is. Is the constant learning to walk in darkness and rely mm-hmm. on, listen for the voice, hear His word. That's why. That's why we get again. I always say this, but that's why first ten. That's why we're together tonight. That's why we're not bowling, and that's why we're not drinking and going to a bar. I mean, we can do all those things, all fine. But one of the reasons we dedicate tonight to doing this is so we will continually remind ourselves we need to, each one of us individually needs to hear 
the word of the Lord. Listen for his voice. Rely on him. And then, when I'm doing that, and oh, I'm not, Jason come and grab my hand and say, Greg, <laughs> rely on the Lord. Listen to his voice. You know? This is a, this thing called, this is a lot of times in, um, how do you, Jeff, can you help me here, but like, the, if you look at sort of the history of um, the Christian the last 2,000 years, a term for this is called the dark night of the soul. That pretty much you would look at Christians go through at some point or more than one point in their lives the maturity of being in Christ. And a lot of times the church has not done very well <laughs> in helping people when they get to the dark night of the soul. When they feel like they're in complete darkness and the church goes, Oh, we don't know what to do! They're not happy. Just serve more. Just pray more. Just read your Bible more. And of course, we want to read the Bible. But just there's all these do 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 do, and we just like don't know what to do. And I mean, that's part of what I think we want to do as a church is we want to be a church that not just helps new believers in the sanctification process. Because at first, when you're a new believer, everything's joy, right? And everything, yeah. And then all of a sudden, you know. And what do we do to help people recognize this is not bad. This is not a place to no. throw your faith away. This is the place that God is calling That's you to right. a whole other level of trust in Him. Right. Is that dark night? Yeah, have you guys, has any of you experienced that, uh, like that, a dark night like that? How, how many oh, times yeah. do you want to go <laughs> Amen. <laughs> many nights. Any like examples that. of that? If you guys want, I mean, any thoughts and examples? <laughs> <laughs> like we don't want to tell anybody. There's not time. When you have a severe illness, you're yeah, going to feel that. Yeah, there you and go. So okay. you reach out to God. Yeah. I love you, Yahweh and Yeshua. Help me. I offer myself. Please help. Yeah. Please help. I need your help. Or you have a loved one who's going through it, and you offer her or him up to the Lord. Yeah. Say, yeah. please help them. That's just, that's the obvious one that most of us come across many times in our life. Right. Because you get immediate results when you do that. When you just surrender. God, I can't do it on my own. Please help me. I, 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 please. Yeah. And what happens? You need to spend time on your knees. Yeah. Right. Spend time with me. Yeah, Eric. The second half of Proverbs 3, 5 says, And lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. Absolutely. And which is really another way of saying exactly this verse, yeah. which is the other way of rely on this God, lean not on your, rely on him, that's lean, rely is the same. Yeah. We need to get out of the way. Yeah. Anybody else? you have any thought, anyone have thoughts about you going through that dark night? Yeah, I... When... <clears throat> I, I've had a history of um, some serious substance abuse. And when I married my, my wife, Gigi, her, her husband died from complications of substance abuse. And <clears throat> she knew that I had had that in my background. And she impressed upon me how it would break her heart and how she feels about that. And 
So my mother-in-law was with us, and for a while I was coping by, like I'd go out in the garage and smoke a little reefer. She comes out when she stuck her head out in the garage, and she goes, it smells like a skunk in here. <laughs> and it was winter time. And I said, I don't smell anything. I just, okay, right away lie. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because I think, well, I don't, I don't want to face the fact that I'm busted. Mm. And, and she, she, I just, I stuck with my lie instead of telling the truth. Mm. And, and, and I went through that whole evening and it wasn't until the next day that I, I told her, you know, that you're right. I was busted. And I, that was a dark night in my soul that night. Yeah. I knew that it was going to hurt her. I knew I hurt her. I knew it was going to hurt her even more when she realized that I lied to her, even though she already knew I lied to her. I mean, that, I'll never forget that. It was horrible. And I waited until the next day to turn to Christ instead of immediately turning to him. That was horrible, man. And it didn't need to be. I tried, you know, it's, it's, it was like a a sick way of being self-reliant. That, well, I can just lie about it and, you know, maybe it was a skunk. Well, there's no skunks out in the wintertime, man. So, yeah. Thanks They're all hibernating. The, yeah, thanks for the flashback, Pastor. Yes, You're welcome. Uh, Anytime. No, that was a good example. Anybody else have any Share to what level you went to or not, but yeah. just when you feel like there's just like no hope. This was really helpful to me tonight. Once again, you guys brought the therapy. Today, this morning, and making me think about being, you know, that self-sacrificial love. And, you know, I need to serve my Aunt Betty. She's 87, and she's explaining this stuff to me over and over, her rationale. And I'm sitting here thinking in my mind, I get it, Aunt Betty. I get it. You don't need to keep telling me. And... Holy Ghost is saying, be patient, be patient. Mm. And then I just felt like I had to get the last word, and it backfired. You know, instead of having resolution, you know, it just triggered her to go further with it. So, you just reminded me, you guys, tonight about the, you know, just be self-sacrificial about it. And don't try to get the, you don't have to get the last word done. Not to bring this memory back for you, Jason, but I will never forget the story you told about being in the car that time with your wife. And oh, that, oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah I mean, that's totally. another good example of just um, we mean, all we all have gone through things like that where we're just at the end oh, and we just so many things yeah. like that. And just and, and the fur- further I go into this thing, the, the, this this journey uh, is. The more, the smaller the increments get, right? The more devastating small things become, right? And the only way, it's, it's sort of like when you learn how to get yourself out of a back spasm, right? The first few times you're going, oh my gosh, and then you learn a few tricks and then you can start to figure it out, right? Same, I've gone through so many of these horrid dark nights that God's just thrown me into this, the, the pit of despair, yeah. right? either physically, emotionally, mostly the worst of them are the combination of all, right? 
And um, we were, I mean, I, I used to get stomach things where, I mean, literally, like, it was a spiritual purge. And I was on naked on the cold tile floor, literally wanting to die with no hope, just vomiting to the point that it was causing me to have uh, convulsions. That would then cause me to vomit. Yeah. <laughs> and, it's hard to picture you that way. Oh, it's unbelievable. Just uh, for hours and hours and hours. And like hours. every every cuss word, everything I said was just, it was just insane, right? And ultimately I re- figured out that I just called on Jesus. Yeah. And it would just, and, and you know. The worse they are, you got to sit there, and maybe it takes a couple hours, but eventually you're released. Good. Yeah, and you learn the suffering. <laughs> well, I think this is a good for us too. So we, to if we all suffering. go through it. Well, you learn from it. As yeah, well. when you see other people going through it, I mean, sometimes our natural tendency is to try to fix it. Yeah. You know, and we want to try to say it's going to be all right. Or, it's, or, you know, sometimes we can inadvertently cause people to move over to their affections and say, do this so you'll feel better. When really here it's saying, when you're in that dark night, I mean, this is a place that God wants to meet you. It's Joe. Exactly. Yep. This is where he this wants you to meet him and to completely, as it says right here, completely trust in the name of the Lord. How do you do that again? Sort of like the first verse. How do you trust in the name of the Lord? You rely on him. You turn it. You guys are giving good examples. You just turn it over to him. And you you get like what you're talking about. You ultimately, it might take us a while, but ultimately we have to obey. Mm -hmm. We have to listen to the voice and we have to go to the person we lied to or we have to go to something and say, will you forgive me? I blew it and I'm not going to be completely open and honest with you. Will you forgive me? And that's obedience. It always comes back to saying... God's calling us to a level of obedience. Yeah. yeah. One of my sojourns, um, I went to Wickenburg, Arizona, and did a week down there, and they taught me the definition of an addiction. And according to them, it's anything you do on a repetitive basis in order to feel better. Hmm. And so going to Jeff's sermon, mm-hmm. if you can go introspective and find that pain, and turn it over to God, then you don't need the addiction anymore. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good way of And you want to be, I think we all want to be men who someone can turn to with that. Yeah. And say, hey, I'm going through something really hard, and we're there to point them in the right place. <laughs> point them to the Lord. The secret, the secret doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. 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 Iron sharpens iron. Yeah, exactly. We all have a story to tell. Yeah, we do. <laughs> and, you know, and the story that we have can help others. And that's why we have stories to tell. God put us allowed things to happen in our life, mm. not to keep to ourselves, that's right. but to actually share with others. Mm-hmm. Like you know, he shared his story today. That could have touched someone here. Right. In this group, that, that one little story, Jason's story, touched someone. Yeah. And that's what they're, we're supposed to share those stories. Yeah. 
so we can bring healing to others. Right. We don't might even know it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's why I mean, our mission of our church, part of it is be a safe place to heal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> might not. Yeah, see. Might not just bring healing. Might bring them to salvation. Absolutely. It's like with back to my aunt Betty. You know, she's always she's like this tough. Um, and she was went into services as an enlisted woman and ended up being a major. So I know she put up a lot of stuff and she puts up a lot of this tough exterior. So when she when I'm trying to get the last word, I'm not setting a good example for her. My ultimate wish for her is with her is not to get the last word, is to get her to come to church and come to Jesus. And if I'm not setting that good example, she's going to look at me and say, you know, what are you talking about? You're talking to me about Jesus all the time. You're talking to me about, you know, am I comfortable about Jesus and Acceptance is saying that I accept Jesus, but yet you're argumentative and you're, you know, you, you always have to get the last word. I'm not setting a good example when I'm mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thanks for reminding me of that, bro. All right. Well, I'm going to close um, with, um, I'm going to read Second Timothy. Um, sort of as our closing thought, prayer, word, says... Obey that voice, so listening to the voice of the Lord through this. So this Second Timothy three ten through seventeen, we mostly think of, you know, sort of the famous three sixteen. All right, about all scriptures breathed out by God. That's interesting. Of listening to what happens before this, before he says this passage, we all know about that. So, listen to Paul again as he's talking. I think really here about how do we trust. And go through, you know, have that path going through that. He says, you, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. There is Isaiah. The Lord helped me, got me through it. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, plural, as for all of us, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed knowing from who you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which were able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable teaching for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. There's the path. Mm. All right, Father, we just thank you for this evening, Lord, and as we close, Lord, I just again think of just the horrendous suffering that is going on among the people in Ukraine right now, Lord. And Father, 
you call us in situations like this to just cry out to you, to pray to you. And Lord, I just even think of the 14 men in this room right now. Hmm. If one man can do such evil in this world, how much can the prayers of 14 of us do to stop that? We just call upon you right now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you end this war, that you stop this suffering, that you are one to be shown that you are the Lord of the universe, the Lord of creation. And Father, as men who follow you right now, Lord, may we be men who fear only you, Lord. No fear of the world, but only fear you. May you make our ear attentive to hear your voice. And when we hear it, we don't even think twice, we obey it. So Lord, no matter what darkness there is, you are our light. You are our light. That we may trust fully and wholly and wholeheartedly in you. That we will rely on you alone. You alone. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. amen.